tend to be. I wonder if Wilmslow is just like a bigger Didsbury. So Where does Wilmslow rank on the Cheshire poshness scale? Ginge? It's it's dropped over the years, Has I it? would say. Oh, yes. Right. Well, I it was holding that, when we drove through it was having an artisan market. Yes, oh. they do that, yes. Yeah. Immediately every, uh, up every Saturday. I think it's every Saturday they hold the artisan market in the uh in the village. It's funny <laughs> it's very nice, yeah. because never Kate, been. Kate hates artisan markets. Why? Because it's all the same stuff and you never want to buy any of it. Yeah. I like the food, obviously. Yeah. Mm. But the wood the woodworking mm. and the, the paraphernalia and the the knickknacks. Is that the Christmas without. market? You wander around going, oh, that's really nice. Do you want one? No. Yeah. It, that's what happens. Terrify- this terrifying stuff? wooden sculptures on sale out on <laughs> Albert Square in Manchester. I found out <laughs> about uh, the, 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 the Christmas markets in Manchester, which have become a, quite a big thing. Is your cap supposed to be on the side? Oh, uh, God. I'll have to tell that story another day. Talk amongst yourselves. The Christmas, mar- the Christmas markets have become a big thing, but I do wonder about their profit margins because I don't know anyone who's ever bought anything apart well, from drink. Yeah, from any well, of like that's that's where the profit margin is made. Yeah, the incredible on the Glauvine yeah. and the incredibly expensive hot dog. Yes, yes, which bratverse. is tasty. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's but yeah, it might be called a bratwurst, but it's just an expensive it's just hot dog. dog. So you drink enough Glauvine, then you're going to convince yourself you really do need that misshapen piece of, of oh. bamboo in the in the shape the, of Christ on the cross. The terrifying. <laughs> Pine wizard. Yes. Pine yes. Wizard. There, there was a, a a lady has a stall at the uh, Manchester Christmas Markets. I think you've got to pay something like 20, 25 grand. That, the cat's uh, back the on, mate. <laughs> About I will get to this seconds, story. Three seconds after you put the cat back on the floor, it is now on your work surface. The cat again. is going for the spice rack, which is a very Didsbury it, thing. It wouldn't matter if there wasn't a packet of ground coffee right next to where the cat has decided that... Uh, isn't that, isn't that a sign of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? Putting a cat on the floor when there is cat food up on the top, he's just going to go... St- is it a he or a she? It's hard to tell. It's Harvey or Harley. It's Harley and it's a he. Um, so this, this person goes and uh, rents a, uh, a stall at the Christmas market and she makes her money back within three days because it's extraordinary the amount of money that they make. What does she sell? Uh, scarves, hats, bespoke things that she just basically spends the entire year making and she makes hundreds of thousands of pounds in about four, really? four weeks. Really? Yeah. On scarves? Yeah. Remarkable. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah, I don't mean I don't know where to take this conversation. <laughs> well, it's just shot us down completely because yeah. we said, well, but it happens year after year. So there she must be something in it. She with his facts and background it's information, just, ruining, ruining, or slagging off Christmas. The food thing might be different. So. It's not so. I can understand there's a market for gloves and hats and stuff, particularly in winter when people need to be warm. Mm. But it's the it's the just the sheer number of places selling carved wooden items. I just find. At the Christmas markets and at all artisanal markets. Yeah, having just been to uh, two countries where they are. They famously have lots of markets oh full right. of there stuff. Okay. Been on a holiday. Oh, here the, we go. But the problem barley, is, is barley, that barley. you genuinely, once you've seen one market, you've been to Hong Kong, right? You know that once you've seen one market, you've seen them all, and it's just depending on how much of an argument you want to make for getting fourteen pence off the item that you fancy getting. Yes, I agree. So Although I did quite like the, the the one in Kowloon that was um, just all loads of knockoff electronics. Yes, in fact, uh, some of the equipment that we're using <laughs> is from that very area. Is that right? Have <laughs> you so always been a culture vulture? Yes. <laughs> yeah. so, so, yes, once again, the high standards of technical <laughs> quality will be reached in this edition of Set Piece Menu. Welcome again, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The food is drink today. Uh, my guests have been served Luwak coffee. Uh, so, Luwak coffee, because I hear you all saying, what's Luwak coffee? Um, with the canned audience. Chinch. Chinch's face suggests that it's not going to be as nice as it's supposed to be. It smells incredibly bad. It really does. We've had some <laughs> cups of coffee in us. Oh, why not? This, <laughs> is language. this is actually coffee made from... Don't worry, we've got lots of, yeah. lots of, <laughs> lots of beeps to do later. Explain, anyway. explain <laughs> the story behind this beverage. So, Luwak coffee is an Indonesian delicacy where essentially... Um, Luwaks, as they call them, but they're Asian civets. They're, they're a... Um, Small animal <laughs> that has <What? laughs> frightened Harley. <laughs> frightened Harley Chinch. A small animal that um, essentially has this incredible innate ability to pick out the finest coffee beans, and then they eat them. The movement through the digestive system of this particular animal makes the coffee beans even more ripe and rich, and then they basically excrete them. Um, no, but this still, isn't true. Hang on, this they're, is. They're, they're still kind of full coffee beans. They haven't been mushed up or anything. And they um, then make coffee out of it. And it is a delicacy that sell- it's incredibly expensive. So this coffee that you're drinking now... Stephen? Is, ...is basically, I got, I think I've got 100 grams for about £20. What? So it's, in- it's an incredibly um, 
refined drink, and it's supposed to be the smoothest, tastiest coffee you'll ever have. You have been had. Well, it's a good job I didn't have to take the £50 option then. So this is basically civet coffee cack. Well, yeah. Hang on, what's a civet? Civet is a luwak, which I'll, I'll give you, get you a picture. Steve, you've tasted it. I have not tasted it, the plunge is it yet. Like what, a, does, what does What sort of animal like? are we talking about? Is it like a horse? <laughs> it's a horse. It's no, it's, a horse. it's like a, a large... It's of the cat horse. family. It is a am, I, am I meant to have heard of a civet? No, Should I know I what one is? I no, okay. It is a perfectly acceptable cup of coffee. Whether it is worth the process that has gone through to reach this point, I'm not entirely convinced. So the civet slash luwak on the packet looked a bit like a cross between a ferret and a honey badger. Mm. And it looks like it's in the process of actually defecating your coffee that you're drinking right now. That is ridiculous. exasperating. There's a line in Bill Bryson that I really liked, which is to do with who looked at a beach, stared out at sunset at a beach, looked down at their feet, and thought, you know what? If we burnt this, we could, we'd get something out of it. We could call it windows. Does that that yeah. is bizarre. Like the yeah. fact that somebody thought, if we take this sand and fire blast it, eventually we'll be able to insulate our houses. Um, I have the same question about how someone worked out that the coffee beans yeah, that a, a Luwak has eaten should be drunk. I'd give up on yes. those coffee beans. Yeah. Well, who, was the, who was the woman on daytime television who used to sift through people's poo to oh, work yes. out what they'd been eating? Uh, Gillian McKeith. Yes, what, Gillian, good. why didn't you just spend a day <laughs> with somebody, yeah. observe what they were eating? Yeah. That, simpler. And that's, it's simpler. Just basically find out what these anim- where these animals are going for their coffee beans and get the coffee beans before they do. Yeah. We can outsmart these creatures, surely. What's this fecal fascination? I, I just don't understand it. <laughs> it ch- I really don't understand it. Two and a half minutes later it. comes up with the alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been that working that? on it. He's had that in his back pocket. We should say <laughs> that there is, there is a bit of an uh, ecological issue with the Luwak, who are sometimes... Um, they are nocturnal animals who are sometimes kept up all day for tourism purposes. And they are also sometimes... Well, they make them watch daytime TV and yeah, stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Because mm. they don't want to miss out on loose women like yeah, the rest yeah. of us. Yeah. Um, but they are also force-fed coffee beans. Because coffee beans are only a, a, a part of their diet. But in order to try and get more luat coffee, um, some people force-feed them coffee beans, which is not good. And it is um, something that is uh, not to be encouraged. And it is also not responsible for any of your coffee that you are drinking, just in case. Because there'll be lots of people who've been to Bali or Indonesia who understand the darker side of it, so I just wanted to make sure that I'm mm. reflecting mm. that. Uh, every day is a school day, isn't it? It is. This it was educational. Yep. I mean, I, it I, was. It's I would have been happy with Gold Blend. It's, it's particularly... It's, 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 it's like yeah, Balinese it's okay. coffee in that you it's sludge. You let the sludge drop to the bottom. That is how Balinese drink their coffee, because coffee is a very... Sludge. Yeah, so don't drink the sludge is what I need to tell you there. Uh, is, is this encouraging you, Chinch, to give it a go? Have you got some chia batter that we can put you, the sludge on at the end? You, would you agree that it's very Smooth. It's very smooth, but the yeah. thing is, I, I have also been to Indonesia, Hugh Ferris. Uh, my I know sis- you have. My sister lived there I was, for a bit. I was, I was hoping that you would uh, be able to join me in my cultural journey. I don't know if I had any Luwak coffee, but I do remember, in this was in my younger days when I wasn't nearly as responsible as I am now, mm. smoking Ind- Indonesian clove cigarettes, which are very popular in Indonesia. And what I would say is that just because something is popular in Indonesia <laughs> does, does not mean, mean it's good. <laughs> did your sister have a toilet in Indonesia? That's the. Uh... She did. She lived in a house. She had. She had. She had a maid. She had a maid. She's really fallen on hard times, my sister. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, on set piece menu are Steve Wyeth, a house, Rory Smith, <laughs> a bag. Hang on. And Andy Hinchcliffe, a. With seven England caps. <laughs> um, so you're all very welcome. Uh, thank you, um, uh, rather fittingly, for all your Atavelt-related correspondence via at Setpiece Menu and setpiecemenu at gmail.com. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook. Just search for Setpiece Menu. Um, you may remember on last week's programme when we talked about um, the Atavelt or the house or bag, um, it was suggested that the German word Stinkstiefel might work as a family-friendly version. Uh, well, Alex Koschia tweeted to say, Stinkstiefel for house is wrong on so many levels. Drexau would be more fitting. Stinkstiefel is basically a grumpy guy. Oh. Okay. So Steve Wyeth. So, yes, yeah, so Stinkstiefel yeah. is just more mm. of a Steve Wyeth, who I just mm. called a house. Um, and Andrew <laughs> Ashton writes this. Good morning, Hugh, Steve, and others. Uh, I think you should no. distinguish between the three types of Stinkstiefel... 
there are only two that we mentioned. So here is Andrew Ashton's three types of Stinkstiefel. The Fellaini, someone who doesn't even bother trying to disguise his intentions, always ready and willing to put in a reducer early doors in the anarchic period before the referee feels able to issue yellow cards. Then number two is the David Luiz, someone who snidely fouls, kicks or elbows opponents, usually after they have played the ball and then runs away, or better still, feigns retribution whilst maintaining a look of innocence. And the Bardsley, someone who deliberately provokes a response from an opponent, then runs to the ref demanding punishment. Uh, so those are the three different types. Do we think they're all three, or do we think there are three types of... No, a Venn diagram, if this carries on, this is getting really confusing. I would have said that Fellaini's a, a different kettle of fish. I think the not disguising it means you're not an Atterveld. I think if you're... Yeah, the snidey aspect. You, you have yeah. to try yes. and disguise it. Yes. If you're, You wouldn't... Like Roy Keane wasn't... Or, I don't know, Norman Bite Yellow Tunter, you wouldn't have said was a, an Atterveld. Because they're not. I told you my Roy Keane story. They're not hiding. Kept me up the pumper for no apparent reason when I was just the ball had gone out of play. Was running out for a Sheffield Wednesday throw, and so I'm I'm going to get the ball off the pitch. I feel a ha ha. (laughs) Roy Keane's just ran up behind me and booted me up the backside for absolutely (laughs) no reason. The ball wasn't even in play, Roy. What's that all about? Was he practicing for Alfie and Gahan? Absolutely no idea what he was doing. Did you have words? I turned round, but he. He was a coward and ran away. <laughs> Ollie Argles has emailed. Dear Set Piece Menu, long-time listener, first ever email, loving your work, by the way. Surely there is a slight misnomer regarding the excellent recent discussion regarding uh, the great football Atterveldt. The Urban Dictionary definition that we used on the programme suggests that an Atterveldt is someone who is purely just out for themselves, when in fact he thinks the opposite is true. Uh, Ollie says by being a football Atterveldt, a.k.a. the Madrid duo Pepe and Ramos, they are working for the good mm. of the team to get their opponents unsettled, books sent off, or injured, not as the definition suggests for themselves, with Ramos so excellently unsettling carriers in the Champions League final, uh, for example. Just my thought on this excellent subject. I realise that I'm splitting hairs on this definition, but I really wanted to break my set-piece menu email virginity on the road to Buffalo State. I think that's right. I yes. think that they are... You, Pepe... Is, help, is helping the team not an offshoot of being a bit of a b- the question You are a bit nasty and snidey, so and the team benefit from that. You're not doing yeah, yeah. it for the reason of, I'm going to really help the team. You're doing it because you're an I suppose the question is, and it's something we we will, the extra work, we will never find out, is... We should find out. Let's make it a how, mission to find out. How do you gauge how much that Azari actually benefits the team? Because what happens if... if what if Pepe, just Ramos is, is a controversial example, if Pepe concentrated on actually just defending rather than his various chicanery, would, would his teams do worse, the same, or better? And maybe he'd you know? be such a good defender. Maybe that's part of his all-round... So is he doing it for himself and, as Chinch team. says, the collective then benefits yes. almost yeah, yeah. By, as an offshoot? Maybe yeah. it's that. Alex Bath says, you left out one niche of Atavelding. They are the non-Atavelt players who are such team players that they will, when called upon, become a total Atavelt for the hell of it. The best example has to be ultimate nice guy Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sprinting the length of the Old Trafford pitch like a Norwegian Usain Bolt with one intention to clatter Rob Lee to save United's title. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson still find him for the card, though. Ha- if you haven't seen it, Google it. It is the most wonderful red card, I think, in the history of football. But that's, that's clearly taking one for the team and yes. out of character. Whereas yeah. other people would take, would that would be their Can you not be a temporary modus Atavelt? operandi would be to do that type of thing. I think that's that, that that's self-sacrifice. That, I don't think yes. that's, yeah. that's, that's an honourable thing. I think that's honourable. Yeah. 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 Atavelding is honourable. Is, is it honourable? <laughs> yeah, yes. honourable. Yeah. Like when you do, when you're Rob Lee, you're not thinking, "Well, that was mightily honourable what you've done he's there." He's a nice man, Rob Lee. The, he he'll be fine with it. But it's like when you got that. <laughs> he won't be fine with it, will he? When you got sent off, yes, against Derby, poor Pesky Salido, yeah, that's to the ground. Honourable. Yeah, Not really. yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, but that's, it's, it's a it's a career long pursuit at a welding. Yeah, yes. we were allowed the occasional indiscretion. It's a vocation. Yeah, we, we no one would ever accuse you f- of being an at a welding. It's well, in the not. fabric of the <laughs> to behave like that regularly. Right, Sorry, I keep using nasty words, but on, it's, it's, it's it's a provocative subject. And I had enough work last week. And Sorry. finally, from John Wood, hello SPM. Listening to your discussion of how to define a. Oh, John's done it now. And maybe think of another sport slash entertainment that may be able to assist. Professional wrestling. Mm. I would say that a house is the football equivalent of a heel in wrestling. The Wikipedia definition is as follows, and Roy will know this because I he's do. a former fan of WWF, now WWE. Heels are often portrayed as behaving in an immoral manner by breaking rules or otherwise taking advantage of their opponents outside the bounds of the standards of the match. I think for me, says John, uh, it is the part that says about taking advantage of their opponent outside the bounds of the standards of the match that defines a football as well. They don't necessarily break or breach the rules and laws of the game, but they will bend and twist them as far as they can get away with. I think using this word and definition simplifies the discussion and means that we can leave poor Ray Atavelt alone before he bursts into your next pod recording with a steel chair looking for Chinch. Uh, maybe for your 100th episode, um, says John, finally you could book a match between Chinch and Atavelt. 
Oh my goodness. Death match. Yeah, but it, he'd be he'd bring a knife to a fist fight, wouldn't he? He's that type of guy. <laughs> Apparently so. I wholeheartedly <laughs> endorse the use of heel as a as a sort of family fr- that 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 is the perfect fit. A week too late, we should have done that. I'm, I'm kind of annoyed it didn't occur to me. We, we could have saved Hugh an awful lot of work. So I'm quite way. glad we thought of it a week later. Already. We <laughs> yeah. Came up with it. Uh, yeah, we don't have to beep out any of the Atavelts because no lawyers have got in touch. Uh, we're going to put together incidentally an Atavelt house eleven and an Atavelt bag eleven um, and ask who wins and who ends the game with more players on the pitch as well. So keep your suggestions coming in. The goalkeepers, by the way, have been discussed heavily on social media. Chris Walker suggested Roberto Rojas. Remember him? Oh yeah. Uh, he's the guy. No who feigned injury in a uh, World Cup qualifier to try and get Chile or prevent Chile from going okay. out. He basically razor-bladed his face, pretending he'd been hit by a flare. Um, Douglas Wood said Harold Schumacher, who I think yeah, we yeah, mentioned yeah. in dispatches, yeah. but we might have stopped the recording by that point uh, from 1982. Everyone remembers that moment. Um, and Tommy C came up with Jose Manuel Pinto, who oh. people remember as being the Barcelona reserve goalkeeper in all those scraps during Clásicos when Jose Mourinho was the Real Madrid manager. And whilst Jose Mourinho was poking people in the eye, <laughs> you could always see Jose Manuel Pinto come around from the side and start something that did not need start. Yeah, but he's not even on the pitch. He's not playing. No, exactly. This is actually... He was on the bench to start fights. Pinto's Fantastic. job was to be Lionel Messi's friend. Ah, I see. Okay. And okay. he did it very successfully. Okay. Um, elsewhere, by the way, in the team, Joey Barton got a few votes, including from Hal Gertz, who admits that Joey is actually more of a bag than a house. Uh, also, Hal, just uh, incidentally, thanks for writing to Rory Smith's podcast. Good. Um, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> he did get in touch via the New York Times. So he That's click. Better. Think of the clicks. Um, so, yes, get in touch via setpiecemenu at gmail.com, at setpiecemenu or facebook.com uh, forward slash setpiecemenu. We will have two 11s and we will just put them together on an island and see how many people die. It is nice that I, um, I let you come on. My I was going to say week. it's going to be Rory and Chums. It's going to change from set piece Rory and Chums, Rory like and that, chums yeah. chat soccer. Yeah, that's what you. I can see where this is going. Uh, by the way, final mention: uh, Johnny the Nick, friend of the pod. Uh, you are now Buffalo status because of your piece the other day about um, ex pros in the media. So thank you very much. Um, our subject today is prompted by the return of the Champions League, etc. Yes, the Europa League has been reduced to etc. And it is also prompted by a matter of legal necessity. The Europa League is very much the amongst others <laughs> of European <laughs> competition. <laughs> it is this: Does European football need fixing? The current structure is Champions League and Europa League, with the odd bit of cross-pollination. But what is its future? UEFA are considering a third competition, basically a reintroduction of the Cup Winners' Cup. More importantly, though, Rory Smith has an idea, and here's the legal part, that he will detail on this week's set-piece menu by way of copywriting it, because when he tried to find it on the Times archives, it turns out they'd wiped all reference to him, and it was impossible to find. So... Does European football look like it should or does it need fixing? We will come to Rory's idea in a moment. But first, we've had a week now of European football. Did everybody welcome its return and think that this is the perfection? Or does everybody think that it uh, leaves something to be desired? It's a bit unwieldy at the moment. The Champions League always feels like there's a sense of occasion about the Champions League, about attending or working on Champions League matches Yes, it's not ideal, but UEFA come in, they take over the stadium. It feels like a tournament within its own right. And I think that's why the players aspire to play in it. I think it's why the clubs view it as so important and why fans, as a general rule, embrace it, although there are exceptions locally to that embracing of the Champions League. But the Europa League just feels like it's too much, isn't it? It's too cumbersome. It's It doesn't feel like it's got the prestige even of a second tier European competition for the big teams that add that element of credibility by being involved. You know, if you've got a Dortmund or a Marseille or a Lazio in the Europa League, it's always something that gives the competition a lift and Arsenal and Chelsea will do that this season. But I'd certainly welcome a review of how many clubs play in the Europa League. And if that means we're going to get a third tier competition to filter some of those teams down, then then that might not be a bad thing but they need they need to find a way of of ensuring that something that should be aspirational is not a burden and i think some aspects of european club football have become too much of a distraction for the teams that they would encourage to to be part of it i don't want to put words in your mouth steve but basically the european competition is a bloated footballing whale gasping for life on the beach that needs a, a pin stuck in it. It needs to be reduced down, Rory. There's far too much <laughs> European football. It goes on forever. And first of all, <laughs> yes. You're not putting words in anybody's mouth because we would not choose those. I, I didn't realise I've been speaking Steve so put long it more eloquently. Come up with that Steve analogy. clearly put it more eloquently, but basically, in a nutshell, 
in a dead whale on the beach, <laughs> gasping for breath. It's not dead. That's basically what we're why talking about. Rory put, Smith. Why would you put a pin in a gasping whale? <laughs> because it's bloated. It's full of gas. Bang! That, you, <laughs> you need to sit down you need immediately. To take it back to the sea, Tinch. That's how you save oh, a whale. No, this, this whale hasn't any chance. Because we we'll change everything. We're changing your What you're football. suggesting yes. is whale murder. No, no, no. <laughs> the whale's done this The whale's not dead. The whale so has done it. this. It's beached itself. It understands that it's too bloated. It's gone on too long. We need to change it. It's thrown itself on the beach and said, prick me. Change me <laughs> into something better. Chinch is basically advocating whale acupuncture. Not at all, not at all. The whale isn't actually European football. I've just cleverly used it. Oh, are you saying that this whole thing has been a metaphor? It has. It has. So that's why I'm saying. But this is, this is going to be your... Are we going to streamline, no, so, so streamline European football? I think Steve's right. That and I'm right as well. And by, Chinch by is right, despite his awful metaphor, that the Champions League <laughs> is not perfect. I, I think there's... It, the, the ship has sailed to continue the North. Ah, nice. But the, I think that having 16 guaranteed spots from four leads is is the bidding. Sefer in the UEFA president said it won't run any further than that, but to have 16 guaranteed spots from the four bid leads, I think is, it, it doesn't appeal to me particularly. I think there has to be more space for the champions of, of not even, I'm not, I'm not even going to say minor countries. I'm going to say countries, countries. with huge <laughs> amounts of footballing tradition and just as much legacy and importance as as the, the, the countries that we now assume kind of have this monopoly on memory and, and significance. And, and we should just say this is the new, the newest change to it is to guarantee the big leagues four uh, spots. teams, four, big four leagues, four yeah. spots each. And also the seeding was changed prior to that, which would uh, make sure that the pots, uh, the pot one would be the champions of the yeah. top eight leagues which, plus, sorry, top seven leagues plus, plus the defending champions. Which that change I think was really good. I think it's... Because the coefficient was annoying everybody. Yeah, and also it's it's... Kind of ridiculous to have, kind of Barcelona, Atletico, Real Madrid, I don't know, Juventus, Bayern, and then two English teams, Man United and Man City, whatever. Seeded, it it weights the competition too much in the in those clubs' favour. I think having, I know that everyone when the draw was made this year, everyone sort of thought, oh, Lokomotiv, Moscow, and oh, Galatasaray, Schalke, and and uh, who's the other team in that group? Galatasaray, Schalke, Porto, and Lokomotiv, Moscow. Oh, what a rubbish group! But that's. The champions of Turkey, the champions of Russia, the champions of Portugal, and the team who finished second well, in Germany. That is a Champions League group. That's how it should be. Mm-hmm. I'm commentating on that group for BT in the early stages of the Champions League. That is the only group with three champions. And then additionally, they've got the team that finished runners-up to Bayern in Germany. So There's basically no the German, shame in that. Yeah. Yeah, the best team in Germany the, the, if you, you know, exclude Bayern Munich. Yeah. yeah. So... It, that, that is the most intriguing group, and arguably is is what the Champions League should be all about. It might not it might not have the cachet of you know one of the, having one of the giants of European football in it, but it's all the more fascinating. It's the toughest to call. All four teams have uh, could quite arguably get out of yeah. that group, so I'm, I'm quite happy to be doing it. Quite well, it, and it's it's really interesting to me that that we've got to the stage now where we, as fans, and that's what. We all are, even if, you know, even if you have a position as a former player or as a as a position in the media, you you are involved in football because you you like it. You're a fan of football. I think it's really interesting that we've got to the point now where even fans are thinking, "Oh, that's a bit rubbish." Does it? You know, does, who cares? Who cares about the champions of Russia and the champions of Portugal? And we've been conditioned to think that the only football that matters is Real Madrid against yeah. someone, or Barcelona against someone, or Man United against someone. And I think that is a real shame. And it's something I write about a lot, and it's something I talk about a lot. And I'm conscious that I'm probably boring people, especially people I talk to a lot, such as you three. This is all news to me. On my podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it is just the honour that we have in sharing the time with you. But there comes a point <laughs> where... He's too, he's too willing to embrace that concept, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> but there will come a point. We don't know how it will play out in the future. And I know that um, at the moment we're all thinking, oh, well, in, you know, football's new horizons are to do with, are in countries where people follow individuals as much as they follow collectives and where players' brands are more powerful than club brands and this is how football will expand and grow and grow and grow. But there will come a point, I think, where where all the fans in those countries in Europe whose teams are being rendered obsolete by these these minor format changes and by the the sort of the gravitating of wealth to the bid leads and particularly the bid clubs in the bid leads, where they might start to switch off. And that might manifest in lower, lower attendances in domestic leads. It might mean more clubs go to the wall. It, it might, this sounds stupid, it might mean fewer players come through from Serbia, from Croatia. Mm-hmm. Because why, why would you, if you're not being inspired by something local, why would you go out and want to practice? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that is the ecology of football. And it's, it's really important that we protect that everywhere and not just in France, Germany, Italy, Spain and England. It's easy to criticise 
governing bodies of, of any sport and and the finger of blame might get pointed at UEFA occasionally for for how unwieldy certain aspects of European club competition have, have become. But it, it is a difficult situation they find themselves in because the big clubs want that guaranteed presence in the major competition in the Champions League. And there's always been that underlying threat, haven't hasn't there, of a, of a breakaway if they weren't to be satisfied and having those guaranteed you know top you know the top four English clubs all getting into the into the Champions League you know this is that effectively came about to fend off any threat of a European Super League but then at the other end of the spectrum you've also got this situation in which with every one of the 55 nations that are associated to UEFA having an equal share of the vote that those smaller nations all want guaranteed European football as well which is why the Europa League has become such a big beast and why there's talk of being now there being a a, th- a third additional club UEFA club competition so they're trying to satisfy nations and clubs at both ends of the they're spectrum trying to accommodate everybody yeah and 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 that is a really difficult situation that they find themselves in because you know the the next UEFA president is going to have to be making promises to associations to get their votes and one of the easiest and we've seen it as well with the expansion of the World Cup and the European Championship is that you have to make promises that in keeping them actually affects the quality of the competition overall and the the other thing that's really important to mention and Seferin, the president of UEFA, who I've interviewed before and I quite like, I think generally he doesn't do everything right but generally I think he's a good presence in football he said to me last year that you have to remember that the reason the big clubs command so much weight when it comes to re- realigning the Champions League and the big countries is because that is where the money comes from. Mm. So they are net contributors. England, Germany, Spain and Italy are net contributors to the European pot. So no matter how much money or space Lazio, or not Lazio, Lazio aren't in it, but Inter, uh, Juve, Roma and Napoli are taking up and how much they take out, the Italian TV deal gives more money back to yeah. the countries in Eastern Europe. So they are ne- they are not parasites on this. But I do think that the, those big clubs and those big countries have lost sight a little bit of the fact that they are on top of a pyramid. And to be on top of a pyramid, there has to be a bottom of the pyramid. That's how pyramids work. I'm not an Egyptian, but I know that. <laughs> and the, in terms of global revenue streams, in terms of... Pl- I think the players is crucial. That's where the players come from. The players come from the smaller countries as well. And you have to continue that that link so I would say that the Champions League isn't perfect that it does have problems but Steve's completely right it, it is as a competition it works at the moment the 32 team group stage there there seemed to be there won't have been but there did seem to be more qualifiers this year than ever before Celtic <laughs> won about 15 games then got knocked out they had to play Rosenborg twice yeah they played Rosenborg twice um, uh, That was, I think that was something to, I, I don't know exactly but that was to try and get more Champions into yeah, the, Champions the Champions League, League which is another it's, relatively yeah. recent change. In terms yeah. of because it's because there were so many guaranteed places for the the bigger leagues, they had to try and compensate in the qualification stages to 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 shunt as to give the champions of of smaller nations that opportunity to get in. If you're looking at player production, which is a really interesting point, then the status quo has to be maintained to give young footballers an opportunity to, to see why they want to play, who they want to play for, and to give them an opportunity to move through the ranks as well. So if you change the way that the tournament is actually put together and limited maybe the amount of teams that play in the tournament, you think, seriously, you will get a lack of quality players coming through uh, countries that maybe get squeezed out of the competition? I think... I'd, I'm sure... I'd be, I'd be interested to know whether people think I'm talking complete nonsense, but it has... It just. So that player, but it's real. That's a really interesting it's point. Not something, that's something that I've not heard. It's before. not something that ever comes up. But if you look at sports like tennis, mm. where you suddenly get a Djokovic coming through or Jelena Jankovic in Serbia, you suddenly then get a knock-on effect where lots more Serbian kids take up tennis, yeah. and that kind of inspirational, aspirational role model thing is really important in the in making sure that people continue to play. So to me, if you're a Romanian kid. And that's how it's always been. You've always had someone, any footballer you talk to, there's always someone that they've looked yeah. up to and said, that was what I wanted to be. I wanted to kind of replicate what they did. So that's what you're trying to I, I want, Yeah, I, know, I wanted to be Georgie yeah. Hadji. And where yeah. did Georgie Hadji come, come through? He came through in, in Romania playing in European competition and then mm. got his big move to Barcelona. And, and it's, it, I'm not saying that you want it so that the Romanian lead is as strong as the Spanish lead because yeah. that's clearly unrealistic. And you don't. There have always been big clubs in Europe. But I, th- I think what's increasingly happening now is that the, the levels in those those lesser leagues are dropping so much that the gap, in fact, might be too big 
So your Yanis Hadji, for example, is not a great example. He did have a bit of time at Fiorentina, but Georgi Hadji's son, who is playing for Vitor Santa, I think, in Romania now, um, if he gets his, if say he's in, he's as, he's as talented as his dad, and gets his chance of a big move to Italy or Spain, and he did, he went to Fiorentina. Is the level too high there for him to make that is leap? The jump too high. Is the jump yeah. too big? And that means that Romanian kids don't have a potential hero to inspire them in yeah, the same way yeah. as Georgi Hadji will have inspired a whole generation yeah. of Romanian kids. So you 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 have to protect the the smaller countries. I mean, the other thing is that. You know the big countries do provide most of the TV money, but they don't provide all of the TV money. You still have to sell the Champions League to other countries, and they will pay more if they think that Red Star Belgrade or Stau Bucharest or Legia Warsaw, if the, I don't know what I said Warsaw, Legia Warsaw, <laughs> Legia Vasava, if they if they are a in the competition and b you know might not get smashed six times. But if you're UEFA, don't you rely on the fact that if just to cherry pick another country if you're a young Croatian fan or you're a Croatian family a household who is going to watch the Champions League are you just as likely to watch the Champions League because Luka Modric plays for Real Madrid than you are if 11 non-Luka Modric's play for Dinamo Zagreb yes you are absolutely and that's really important and Luka Modric I'm sure is I'm sure there's loads of Croatian Real Madrid fans and probably quite a lot of Croatian Spurs fans as it goes. But, but not just Croatian Real Madrid fans, Croatian consumers of the Champions League. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, that, that is without question true. My point is that if you look at the generations subsequent to Modric, people like Alan Halilovic, who's now AC Milan, uh, the two, there's two or three kids who've come through uh, at Dinamo Zagreb in the last few years who haven't made that leap. Is that because... It might be it might be individual, it might be that they weren't good enough in the first place or whatever. But is it because the the difference is too great and is that because the the bid leads are pulling away so much mm. from everybody else because they have so much more money and they, they are attracting so many more players. Now the, the, it may well be that look, Brazil and Argentina continue to produce enough players to keep everybody happy. There's more Brazilians in the Champions League again this year than there are Italians, I think, and possibly English people. You know that that it's Brazil and Argentina that drive the player economy of the world, so it may not be relevant. But that player production thing is is an element of the de- debate that's never talked about, and I, yeah. it's but it's an example of how we are disenfranchising huge swathes of Europe and not minor countries. These are not all Gibraltar; they're not all Andorra. I had a conversation on Twitter with someone who said that Victoria Pilsen against CSJ Moscow. Yes, in the uh, first round, yeah, and, and Bilzinia won that game, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the said that that's a Europa League game. Victoria Pilsen are the Czech champions. Mm. They're the champ, the champions of the Czech Republic, which is a major European country and a major football power until the last fifteen, yeah. twenty years. And and CSK Moscow are the the alpha team, really, of yeah. Russian football. Locomotive might have been the, the champions, and Spartak were the champions the year before. But Siska is still the team that you think of as the most regular Russian presence yeah. in the Champions League. And they. Uh, were they, they, they were the first Russian team, or they, they won the UEFA Cup not that long, not that long ago. Cisco, I'm not, I'm not going to say Cisco. The, they they yeah, won it, I think, 2005. Yeah. So th- these are, I mean, Pilsen are a great story, but they're not a big team. And if you look at what they've done in in the Czech Republic, they they've got uh, Sparta and Slavia, who are both who both have foreign investment, who are both spending a lot of money, who've both had sort of big fancy players come in and big fancy managers. Well, Andreas Stramaccioni, who's not that fancy or that big, <laughs> but you know they've, they've, they've he's very well presented. He's very he's fancy in that. He's very that handsome. Concept. He's very very dandy. But the um, you know the Pilsen are a traditional team who've won I think three of the last five or four of the last six championships. They're a great story. They should be in the Champions League. Red Bull Salzburg, for all that all that it's funny that they keep falling at the last <laughs> the final <laughs> hurdle. I've been champions of Austria since for the last ten years or something. They they should be in the Champions League. Austria are not a minor nation. It's not saying, oh, why don't we let in all these terrible, all you know, the champions of Estonia, all these terrible well, countries. Do, these, do these Dudelanger are, reach the yeah. Europa League group stage? First, They're the Luxembourg yeah, champions. First, Luxem- first Luxembourg club to reach the group stage of a, of a major. So, so to get this, they had to get through about forty six times yeah, yeah. to do so, which but is to a get bit the, of a shame. To get this back on track, so. I, I have a problem with the way we disenfranchise small countries, and I have a, I think it's it's a shame that we now think of everyone outside five or six countries as small countries. That's really sad, and generations of fans to come are are missing something because you you will not ever know the pleasure of discovering that as as our generation did that there's this this amazing team has come out come out of Red Star Belgrade and suddenly they are champions of Europe or people. You know, there's this team at Stau Bucharest who, who was incredible. Or even Chinch's generation, who as a young kid 
would have been alive for the Dinamo Tbilisi team that the Liverpool totally. players of yeah. you won't have watched it oh I would but the, the, when Liverpool played Dinamo Tbilisi I think in the Euro- European Cup in 1980 that was in the first or second round that was according to a lot of that generation of players the best team they ever played at Dinamo Tbilisi that they were there is a magic in mystique and that has been lost and as Steve has said it's because it's primarily economically driven so what you need to do if you're UEFA is you need to find a way to marry those two, two things together, to protect the smaller countries and to make sure the economy keeps going. What UEFA have said is they want to have a third competition. I think if that's run in the right way, that's not a bad idea. But I think even better is my idea, <laughs> which, which we'll will make everybody a load of money. Just just a moment, because I want to talk about their reintroduction of the Cup Winners' Cup and then use your example as a contrast to it. But but both Chincha and Steve wanted to say something before I did that. Yeah, I... I just wanted to pick up on what Rory was saying. He's absolutely right. You know, the European club competition should be expanding our our horizons and much more football is available to us, whether it's on television or now on, on streaming sites, that we can watch football from most of the leagues, at least, you know, most of the top 20-odd leagues in Europe fairly comfortably if we so choose. So it should be expanding our horizons. We shouldn't be sneering at the champions of the Czech Republic being in the, in the Champions League. And we should also say, look, do you know what? There are great things about the Europa League as well. Yes, it, it might be unwieldy. You know, there's some really big clubs. You look at the British teams that are in it, Chelsea and Arsenal this season. You've got Celtic and Rangers as well. The likes of Lazio, Marseille are there. Zenit and Petersburg, Villarreal. Really, really impressive clubs with huge prestige. So that competition should be warmly embraced as well. We just need to find a way of of making it so that those clubs want to be as part a part of it for as long as possible. And if you look at the case of Burnley, who finished seventh in the Premier League last season, a phenomenal achievement, as we've discussed many times, finishing seventh in the Premier League is not to be sneered at. But in doing so, to then find you've got to play eight games to get into a competition where you'll then have to play 17 more to win it, just is mm. too much of a deterrent You've got to be, if, if clubs are achieving their goal of getting into European football, you need to reward them by making that as prestigious as you possibly can. And yes, there are going to be different tiers of European club competition, but whichever one you are playing in should feel special. The Champions League feels exceptionally special. I'm not quite sure that filters down in the way that it should. Is it important to change the fans' perception of what the Champions League or Europa League is all about? Because you mentioned maybe the top eight clubs see themselves as the Champions League. Mm. Everything else is a bit of an irrelevance. Fans maybe see that as the Champions League and everything else is a bit irrelevant. Who, who cares who the champions of Russia are, champions of Czech Republic are? I, I thought fans, with the availability of, of football around the globe, that they'd be more interested in these teams that are coming from lesser, in inverted commas, countries, and would be more interested in watching those teams. But clearly it seems to be going the other way, yeah. that maybe fans just see well, the Champions League as, as Man City, Man United, Chelsea, Bayern Munich. They, they don't see all those other sides. I think they're a bit of an irrelevance. Are they the ones that they want trimming away? Yeah. We don't need the champions of Russia. We don't the, need the champions the of The fans Austria. you're describing are mm. the fans of those big clubs who probably don't see outside but of their own. But no, 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 no. the it's not but there must be other people out there who I, look on the Champions League and see it. But if you're not a fan of those big, club, big yeah. clubs, then yes, you should be. Poor. I don't think that's entirely fair. I would say that people, Chinch is right, that people gravitate towards excellence. And this is the argument that the Bundesliga have made for a long time, which is that... He, just as Bayern are clearly better than everybody else doesn't mean people won't watch Just people want to see dynasties it's the same logic that PSG are hoping is true Juventus certainly think it's true um, and I think it's true of fans as well that they will go and inst- if you can watch Barcelona or Real Madrid why would you watch Galatasaray that is definitely true That and that's a problem that we've all got to face in terms of how those lesser leads survive and this feeds back into what we were talking about you've got to help them a little bit the so it's not just the fans of the big clubs. I think there has been, as Chinch says, there's been a movement to think, I, I, I have access to the very best football available, so I, will, I want to see more of that. Where, not where's that driven from? Is that just to know the way things are? Or what, why, why do people do that? I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> very interesting, isn't it? It's fascinating. It's but, why people are drawn... Well, no, yeah, they are drawn to excellence, and they're told this is the best football you, you can watch. So 
watch it. But it's interesting. But surely, there's it? a lot of interesting football out there. They're not these teams aren't necessarily going to win the competition. But wouldn't it be interesting to watch Salzburg play? But, but, but it's also, in, it's you, you're in, in watching Salzburg play. You mm-hmm. are eschewing the chance to watch Real Madrid. And if you are only going to watch one, yeah, okay. you're you're probably even if it's from a negative point of view, you're more worried about missing something great okay. yeah. by not yeah. watching Real Madrid than you are the prospect mm-hmm. of watching something good. Yeah. Watching Salzburg. But yeah. it's interesting because we don't approach music like that. We don't think of music no, as but being... but it's your time decayed content, isn't it? It's the fact that you want to watch live the most important thing that is happening. Yeah. If you yeah. like two songs, you, want, you, listen, you listen to one, to one and then, then listen, listen to the other. other. Yeah. You don't really do that with football because you know the result and so it's the time... Because you have a straight option. If you don't watch this, it's gone. Yeah. But yeah, you, yeah I don't know. It's, but yeah, that, but that in the way that most is, yeah. people yeah, yeah. engage yeah. with football. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that's not always the case. But if you are engaging with football on a level that you are streaming every single game, you are probably engaged mm. to an extent that you will want to watch a game live and want to know everything that's happening at that moment. But keeping all the teams in the competition as it stands, that is the duty of UEFA with all the associations that are involved with UEFA. So clearly, UEFA are doing the right thing by the amount of clubs that are okay, so in the tournament. Is this what we're going to get to in so terms Cup of how many, how many teams are in this? Well, it one? won't be the Cup Winners' Cup. I know it's not going to. Let's just call it the Cup Winners' Cup. But I do miss the Cup Winners' Cup. Everybody misses the Cup Winners' Cup. Can't we call it the Rory Cup? The Rory, no. no, that's the next thing to come. If they introduce, they're talking about introducing a third, third competition from 2021. They've said the guy, Giorgio something, he's Italian. Um, Giorgio Moroda. Giorgio Moroda, the yeah. guy who's in charge of this stuff at UEFA. Yeah. Giorgio Armani uh, has said that <laughs> they don't Frank. know um, Giorgio O'Keefe. Uh, the <laughs> it doesn't work. Well, it was, it was, Giorgio uh, it was Andrea and, uh, Agnelli, the um, Juve president. Uh, the European Club Association who sort of lifted the, the lid on this, didn't they? Yeah, they effectively sort of you know, it, yeah. spilled the beans. So they, they've said that they want to introduce a third competition from 2021, which I find hilarious because in 1999 they got rid of the Cup Winners' Cup, which was a perfectly good competition, but they decided to get rid of it for no apparent reason. I played in that competition. It was terrific. <laughs> That's <laughs> probably why they ditched who it. Who did they realise, wait a minute, Everton, Hinchcliffe, European Cup Winners' Cup, no more. Everton against Reykjavik. Reykjavik. Why wouldn't we want oh. that? Did you lose? No, we did not lose. We managed to scrape through 4-3. And, and then we you? got beaten by Feyenoord. There you go. So Feyenoord-Everton, bid European game. Yeah. So they, they now want to introduce a third European competition. They, they've they said they don't know what format it will take, but they want to introduce ah, right. it from 2021. They haven't got In, enough midweek days left. <laughs> well, so funny enough, that's an important thing. Uh, so They're going to create an extra day of the week <laughs> to play are. these matches. Yeah. The, Brilliant. The, yeah, the, the feeling in Eastern Europe from a couple of people who have mentioned it to me is that they will effectively streamline the Europa League. So you will end up, they suspect, you will end up with a, for want of a better term, Western European Europa League and then Eastern European Europa League, which will do what Steve says. It will take a lot of the weight out of the Europa League. It means that the, the clubs, the, the Arsenal's, the Chelsea's, the Lazio's, the Villarreal's, the Sevilla's who are in it don't have those massive journeys. But the problem with it is that you then end up, you ghettoise the, the Eastern European teams effectively. And also you have just as many games... But you split them into two competitions and it'll be just as unwieldy yeah. because you'd have to talk about two different competitions potentially on one single yeah. day. So, th- But the weekday thing is really important because I've, I've always thought that one of the simplest things to do to give a bit more prestige back to the, what I'm going to call the UEFA Cup is to play it in alternate weeks to the Champions League. So instead of having it as an afterthought on a Thursday, give it Tuesday and Wednesday, but alternate uh-huh. weeks. It's difficult to do because of domestic cup competitions, yeah. but it shouldn't be impossible. Give, there's a gap in... The Champions League. The Champions League obviously doesn't isn't played every week, even in in the autumn. Uh, so give it those spare weeks to make the Europa League feel a bit more special and less like you've had the Champions League. Do you want dessert? Not really. No. Okay. We're also going to have forty eight games on one day, yeah. and you're going to find it impossible to follow any of them, and they're generally inconsequential anyway because it's going to take seventeen games, as Steve said, yeah. to win it. And really, it and then only takes serious uh, status when the Champions League teams drop down and then you populate well, it with and teams that's, that And that is the other problem with the competition that I would do away with that in yeah. an instant is that once if you're in the Europa League you're in it to win yeah. it. You can't have a situation where if you manage to get through the eight games of qualifying and the six group games oh by the way the teams that finish third in their Champions League are going to come in are gonna, yeah. and they're knocking you out in the round of 32 anyway. Yeah. No, so I think that, that is, that's an obvious way of, of improving things. Personally I'd take some of the bigger teams from the from the bid leads out of the Champions League to pre- preserve it for champions. That's mm. what I do personally. Okay, but that's not that's but that's not be realistic. That's not so you finish second. I'd say if you have the top two, I, personally, I'd have the top two from the bid leads and the champions of all, just the champions from everywhere else, and I'd have a really small Champions League. But I accept that is not going to happen. Okay. The Champions League. Seferin said that it won't run any further in terms of the balance being with the bid four. Mm. 
if anything's going to change with the Champions League, it will be there will be more teams from the bid four in the Champions League and fewer spots in the Champions League. To make it look more like a European Super League. To make it look more like a European Super League. That's where the money is. They're going to have to change the names. <laughs> they are, it's going to be really difficult to, to have three competitions and not have one that is completely devoid of glamour. Yeah. You could, you, I guess you could run the Europa League concurrently. You could do kind of two that streamline into one. That might work. Uh, so then, uh, we have teased it long enough. Given all our reservations that we have detailed until this point, you're wondering if there's just one silver bullet that will just magically erase all those issues and bring forth a bright new future of European football. It will, on the one hand, provide you with entertainment of the highest level, great teams playing against great teams, television audiences, huge amounts of money, but more importantly, it will make Rory Smith incredibly rich. Yes, I've not had many. It's not about that, though, is it? <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, it yes. is about that. Sorry. I've not had many great ideas in my life. I'm not going to lie to you. This is this is the one idea that I've ever had that is 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 even halfway decent because it solves. It does genuinely. I'm being slightly tongue in cheek. It does genuinely solve a lot of the problems that that complicate the way that European football is run. Because as we've discussed, the big leads want more money, and every time they decide they want more money, they threaten UEFA with walking away. Uh, and UEFA has to back down because they provide the most money. I have a way of guaranteeing them a huge amount of money without really adding to their schedule. So, think of it as a, not quite a Ryder Cup of football, but a similar idea. You take the four best leagues in Europe, which I think we can agree are England, Germany, Spain, and Serbia, <laughs> uh, and Italy. Red star, red star, red star. Uh, and Italy. At the end of a season, in a non-World Cup or European Championship year, you so in the odd numbered years the copper america co- complicates things slightly but we'll as does the, the new nations league and the the new nations league but we'll step aside from that a little bit a lot of teams are already going on post-season tours we're looking for solutions not problems yeah. yes yeah. thank you i'm not saying it's a perfect idea it needs some workshopping the a lot of teams are already on post-season tours there's no question about that a lot of teams obviously take part in the international champions cup mm-hmm kind of unwieldy pre-season thing so they're not averse to international travel I think we have to accept that reaching out to new markets is an important part of brand building and monetizing of football so you take the four best leagues in the world in Europe you play the champions of each country go into one group the teams that finish second in each country go into one group third, fourth, fifth the same all the way down to 20th you choose 10 so we're talking 80 teams here 80 teams the teams Every team from those leagues, oh, sorry, plus the top, the top two in the Bundesliga's fight. To make it eight. Yeah, yeah. uh, because there's only 18 in the, in the Bundesliga. They're so generally pretty big clubs, though, as well. Yeah, so. always tend to be decent. So you have 20 teams from each country. They are divided into groups according to their league finish that season. So at, as things stand, you would have uh, what Liverpool, Real Madrid, Bayern and Juventus mm-hmm. in one group. And then whoever's bottom of all those four leagues, I have no idea. It's only six games into the season. In another group. You take 10 cities. Across the world, Shanghai, New York, Leeds, all these places. <laughs> Pontefract. <laughs> the t- tier a- Pontefract. Pontefract. I know where we're going with this. Tier A is being played in Leeds. Yeah. Uh, across lots of different time zones. That's important. Remember that for later. The cities potentially could bid to host the games, which would involve them paying. How many of these games will be in Qatar? <laughs> well, some of them would be in Qatar or Abu Dhabi or Dubai, but you would have to... The organisers, I would suggest, would like to balance it so there's lots of games in different time zones, so it's not all concentrated in the United States or in the Far East or wherever. Johannesburg, Cairo, everywhere. You can play them everywhere. Ten cities. Each city gets two groups. So the city that gets group one, the team, the, the champions, would also get group 20, the teams that are relegated. Mm-hmm. They would, and then two, 19. You might have to, obviously, the package for you know 10 and 11 would be worth less. You have to accept that. There's no way of getting around that. That would be in Pontefract. That would be in Leeds. <laughs> you then play... The, each team plays three games, which is not a huge amount of of workload for the players. So you play a round-robin group, three games over the course of, say, ten days, three games, three days between each game. With every... You, there's two ways of working it. So either the team that wins the group gets one point for their country or the team that wins every game gets one point or whatever. You share the points that way or half a point for a draw. You then get a winner, obviously. So the Premier League wins X number of groups or X number of games. They win. La Liga comes second, blah, blah, blah. So you have a reasonable claim to being the strongest league in the world at that point. 
But crucially, the way the money is made is that you would stage the games in each city over 10 days. The cities might bid to host them. You'd use the, the lesser games as a as an appetizer for the bigger games. Uh, so you could have two games on on one pitch in one day or in cities with more than one stadium, you could have two games every day. They would be broadcast around the world and because they would be taking place in lots of different time zones, they may well be continuous. So you could have not quite 24 hours of football, but not far off. You'd have a lot of football to watch. Ten days of continuous football. Ten days of continuous football in a non-tournament year when everyone gets to the end of the season and thinks, oh, there's no football left, this is a bit rubbish. Uh, obviously, that means TV rights, which you could sell, which would go direct, not to UEFA to disperse as they saw fit, but direct to the leagues, which means they get a lot more money, direct straight into their veins. There you go. <laughs> Intravenous strip of cash. <laughs> so it's, it's, that's my idea. And I, I genuinely think it works because it doesn't... It, in, it's obviously an economic prospect that would work. It... Is it doesn't ask too much of the clubs, and it may be if UEFA condoned it, if they made it, if the UEFA branded it, UEFA would say, "Look, we're going to give you this as your own revenue stream, but you have to sign up for a certain number of years to the UEFA model of the Champions League and Europa League, and you have to take them seriously." And there you go. That's my idea. Any questions? Uh, I have a question. Uh, it's probably the most important question. Um, what's it going to be called? Don't know yet. That's not important. <laughs> Can we get Carol Vorderman on the phone to explain the machinations of this competition? Because you've explained it relatively well. I probably well. haven't. I probably haven't. No, you have. Yeah, even I could kind of understand what the hell you're going on about. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so that's good. Thumbs up. That's, that's good. No, so it, uh, yeah. It, that's, th- that so, is the idea that you would, you would have... You would be playing effectively for the honour of your own league. Which is where I uh, intervene with this question. Yes. Clubs don't give a flying about the honour of their league as much as they care about their own position in amongst that league or in amongst a wider... And more than that, people. I don't think Leeds necessarily want an answer to the question, which is the strongest league. But, as ever in football, I would posit that you can solve this problem with money. <laughs> OK. And, and are we saying that the, the knock-on to this new revenue stream for the top four leagues in Europe is that they might have to sacrifice places in the Champions League and the Europa League as a consequence? Or are you just saying that in the spirit of fair play, you've got to take the Europa League seriously if you're fifth and sixth placed team? So you've got to say, effectively, Arsenal, there's a new revenue stream for you at the end of the season, but come September, when you've got to go to Ludogorets Razgrad in your first game in the Europa League, you're not allowed to send set out a much change you've got to take it more seriously I'm not sure you'd necessarily be able to do that and the clubs would I've no doubt clubs have a right I'm, to sorry, pri- I'm, clubs I'm, have I'm a, living in some kind yeah, of you know perfect world here clubs have a right to prioritise clubs have a right to say I, we don't care about this competition we're not going to play our strongest team and also Arsenal have every right to think they can beat Ludogorets with their reserves mm. the I would say that UEFA could if they if they branded it in the right way if they made it appealing enough you could probably go to the clubs and say we will run this competition for you but the money will go straight to you, apart from whatever fees we incur, which I'm sure will be enormous. Um, but in exchange, you have to sign up for a 10-year cycle of the Champions League as it stands and a 10-year cycle of the Europa League as it stands. Uh, you can't be agitating for changes you can't be agitating or for demand, change. demanding and also, more, you, more places. You don't need more money because we have created this yeah. revenue stream for yeah. you. Will there end up inevitably being a, so you've mentioned the top four leagues, a Europa League version of it where you've got the top five to eight teams or something you could do yeah even if it works I don't think that would be that, that appealing um, but you could do and I'm, I'm not saying to be fair that and this is yeah this is a slightly tongue in cheek idea it's not like I expect someone Charlie Silitano to ring me and go I want to run this for you well the funny thing about Charlie Silitano is the kind of person who would go to the ECA and say let's, let's, do, let's this do this yeah. outside of UEFA so that you directly get the money, and, and it's not even a league. Well, yeah, thing. you could it's do a that. Cl- a clubs thing directly, but it's bypassing the Premier League and the and Serie A. It's going directly into the into the but pockets need, of the clubs. You'd need the leads. That's what the ICC is effectively. But you need some. That's the point that the ICC falls down because it's not. They all know they're not playing for something, and it's a pre-season thing. Whereas I think if you do it post-season, odd-numbered years, pretty much full-strength squads, you might lose some of the South Americans for the Copper America, not necessarily. Um, you're only asking for three more games. It's not a huge commitment. Each team will be based in a certain city, so it's not. There's not loads of travel. You just you get one flight there, one flight back. You get a warm weather training camp, all that stuff. Uh, you'd need the leaves buy-in, though. You, would, you couldn't do it through the clubs. Mm. But the, the point of it would be that you'd be playing for something. You'd be playing for the right... If you're the team that finishes first, you'd be the, 
be playing for the right to call yourself to the champion of champions. It would be another... The best team in Europe. Yeah, the best team in Europe. It would be another claim to fame as well as the Champions League. If you're 20th, maybe you're not playing for any honour, but you are playing for an awful lot of money that would be quite useful when you... Start life in the in the championship or in Serie B or whatever. You know yeah. what the t- television companies will say? They say we need a final, we need uh, we need a big game that crowns a winner. Um, if you've got those three group games, that is fantastic. But they they want a culmination of something. yeah, possibly particularly those um, global markets that are used to having yeah a Super Bowl, a big game to end things and crown the champion. But if you had in the, if you if you staged it right, could you not run run it so that the the group of uh, Group one goes last, and so that th- those final games are not only potentially deciding who is yeah. the champion of champions, but also which lead is the strongest. Yeah, you could you could weight it so that the champions of England play the champions of Spain in the final game in that yeah. group, on the presumption that they would be the, two the best two yeah. the, the best two place teams in that. So group it's like the international stage. champions cup, the huge teams, aren't they? But it's kind of. There's no, there's, there's just no, there's no pre- consequence. It's to a pre-season it. tournament. It's pre-season, they all, so yeah, everyone knows it's strong. a pre-season tournament, so yeah. you don't you don't feel quite as do you see it's all no, it's, right. lo- it's yeah. lots of reserves there's yeah. nothing at stake yeah. there's yeah. some money to be made but that's it whereas if you have something at stake and also think if it's post season when there is that do you think about the end of the season where you've suddenly had these incredible moments of title victories and de- desperate relegation battles and champions league finals that's when you want more by the time the ICC comes around the in July everyone's play. a bit sick of it but they have to do on post season tours already not all of them though not yeah. 80 quite clubs a, quite a lot well no but a lot of the big clubs do and they're the ones who'd be sick of it whereas if you're Frosinone, you might quite like the chance to play Absolutely. West Ham or whatever. Absolutely. I would. quite like the potential for chicanery as well. So, you know, you've got Cardiff and Huddersfield who look like they're doomed at the bottom of the Premier League and they're suddenly they're suddenly trying to tank to make sure they finish 20th <laughs> so that they end up playing their games in the same place as Liverpool, Real Madrid, yeah, yeah, Bayern yeah. Munich and Juventus. No, surely just for the just for the honour of winning a point for their league. That's what really matters. But prioritise. But it's an excellent idea, Rory. It is I a think brilliant this is going to make, make us, all of us, an, an, an astounding amount of I money. genuinely think, and I'm, I, again, feedback is welcome, constructive, please, as I would expect from our audience. But I genuinely think that it's, I genuinely believe it's a good idea. I, I think it works. Let's get a good a name. Get a name. That's get the a first good, job. Good name. At Seppi's Menu or Seppi's Menu at gmail.com. The Rory Smith Cup. No, no, no just that's not tank work that for me. We'll mm. workshop it a little bit. More, Hector's Trophy. <laughs> Hector's Trophy. <laughs> uh, it is time for Nevermind Jack and Rory. What a soccer Ooh. story. When Andy tells us a tale from his playing days, adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. He has turned to his phone. He has notes. Yeah, well, I had to. because I had to remind myself of the dates. So I was going to tap into, again, the European aspect of this mm. chat. Now, <laughs> this be- <laughs> I am. Oh, wait a minute. Have I just deleted everything? Oh, no. I've just deleted everything. Oh, man. I'll- oh, no, I haven't. It's here again. There's been Old man so many big fat fingers. Time. There's been so many top European coaches that have come across and coached and managed in the Premier League. And if you throw a few names at me, it'll probably be someone that I would have worked with. Who, who are the greatest? Christian Gross. Joseph, How? It's Joseph amazing. <laughs> why? Why? Oh, really? It is have Christian I re- Gross. Have I got the punchline. Sorry. Yeah, but you agree with me? His ten-month spell at Tottenham <laughs> was was truly memorable. He mm. won ten games out of thirty. Is that right? And most importantly, he tried That's to sign... That's table form. He tri- absolutely. And with Hinchcliffe on board, I could have taken them down. <laughs> but anyway, this is January 98. Have I told the story when I met Christian Gross? There was, there was a, a, a chance I was leaving Everton. God knows why they wanted to sell me. Oh, it was Howard Kendall. Um, so I was getting sold, obviously, for big money, a big £3 million, which would be worth probably £3.5 today. Um, so I'd gone to, down to Tottenham to chat to them and went to Christian Gross's hotel where clearly he was living and he was he always stru- Christian Gross what was do you remember much about I do. him and what did he strike he was a bit he was one quirky, of those a bit kooky early bit. European managers who were who were known to be studious yeah, yeah. Slight, slightly nerdy a bit yeah. uneasy maybe yeah i went to obviously chat to him and he had all these which hotels he can you remember i really can't remember one? i was I think I was, you know, I, was, I wasn't quite with it, you know. It was a big okay. money move, you know, so you're bound to get a bit carried away with the whole Is it a Premier Inn or a Holiday Inn? <laughs> I think it was a Holiday Inn. They really put him up in style. In Walthamstow? Yes. So we went into his room and he was chatting about, you know, if I joined and all this type of Where stuff and how they would play. We sat on, we had like two, 
Why is this important? Because I just want to know if you're sitting on the bed. <laughs> Not next to each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a sofa bed. Yeah, it's a really, really <laughs> small hotel room that doesn't have any extra no, seats. No, we, we had a three-seater sofa each. So a table Twi- and he's explaining Twin room. You perched there, yeah. chin. <laughs> Open the connecting door. <laughs> but anyway, no, so we're chatting away. But he always struck me again. Maybe it was th- this was what was coming into the game, the slightly nerdy, all about tactics and everything else. So maybe that's where I, I got the bug from and why I'm so good at what I do now. But anyway, 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 anyway. <laughs> so, so clearly, I told you the story about not passing the well, everything was fine with Tottenham yes. getting sent the medical bill, and then sugar, and then they it. they kiboshed with with Alan Sugar ringing me up and saying I wasn't fit enough, my leg wasn't big enough, that old cracker. Um, so I always felt Christian Gross and I had unfinished business, and I, but I wasn't. I, hotel, I always right? felt it was a little bit strange. But then this was in the January of '98. Of course, I was an established England international by that time and played at least three matches. And this was in March of '98. It was a. Um, a big money, prestige, friendly that England are playing against Switzerland. It was the match everybody wanted to see, and I arrived at the game and this kind of you know kind of the um, the area before where all the dressing rooms are. There's always like this kind of like a, a hallway thing is where the players kind of intimate players that know each other. I knew no Swiss players. I wasn't going to high five anybody, but I came out into that area and Christian Gross was there. He was working for must have been Swiss TV or something. And you know when you have that kind of uncomfortable. Where you kind of the last time I saw him was in that holiday in on the on the talk about tactics and nothing came about the transfer didn't happen, and the next time I saw him I thought oh my god this is going to be absolutely horrendous and I did have this opinion of him as a little bit he could take this really personally as if I had something to do but he was the most lovely down to earth and he he was saying I was really upset to leave the club really upset you didn't join and obviously what happened with the injury and all that kind of stuff and I felt really bad as if maybe I should have rang him after the transfer didn't happen I should have done more at the time, mm. to say, yeah, I'm really sorry. But I just didn't care. I went to Sheffield Wednesday and I just put him to the back of my mind. But then when I saw him at this game, I felt really terrible because he was so lovely. And he genuinely hoped I had a good game that night, which clearly I did. 1-1, it was a great game. And, but he was just it. such a lovely guy. And it just made me, it's not many times in my life that I felt guilty, apart from every day. <laughs> um, and I just felt as if maybe at the time I should have, been nice to more. Hit. Yeah. But it's because very, when it's you meet people later on, two or three months later, and they, and they behave in that way, clearly he was a lovely guy who genuinely was studious the way he thought about the game and the way he treated people. And I maybe completely misjudged him and thought he was a little bit of an oddball, but clearly he wasn't. He was such a, a lovely man, caring. And actually, he genuinely, when he was saying all this, I was thinking, oh my God. You'd have thrived under a manager like that. Very probably, or got relegated. Yeah, one of the two. Certainly. Yeah, the club wouldn't have thrived. Is this would a it? lesson no. that you've learned and applied to the Dodged. rest of your life since learning it? Um, do you still read a book? Do you, do you still judge a book by its cover? I hope I don't. No, I have judged people fairly harshly in the past who turned out to be beeps. <laughs> and do you like Ray Atavel, for example? Do mm. you do you feel like I think we all know the football coach he's referring to? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to mention Paul Jewell, but <laughs> so you have to. Do, no, yeah, do I, you I feel what? like you you underestimate the enduring effect that you have on some people. But actually, he, there was a quote at the time that when the transfer fell apart, that he said he, I was a very good player and a very good person. And again, reading that, I went back and just checked the story because Nicola Berti signed. We were both roughly there at the same time. He signed and I didn't. Similar to you and Nicola Berti. Yeah. And he kind of, Gross came out with this. So he said, but he said, what well, a person I was, not just a player. So clearly we had a connection, which I seemed to disregard because the transfer didn't go through, which then I got slapped across the face in Lausanne or wherever the match was. Interesting. By interesting. a really lovely guy. And it, I, I maybe should have... But football's cared about the person more, and I feel really like bad that, about isn't it? it. Football's very yeah, but I'm not like that. No, you're not. But you'd be, you'd, you're kind of conditioned by your environment, aren't you? Maybe that's, that's why you're so it. gentle now. You're surrounded by us. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. Is that why you're a gentle soul? We've, yeah. we've allowed you to sort of. And I appreciate people yeah. a lot more. You do. Oh, well, wish I, I wish I had back then. Should we I see feel, if we can get in touch with Christian Rose? I feel <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to. What he's doing now is I don't know whether he's still. You never hear of him very much do you he's probably, he's probably he's a, a PE teacher a, somewhere isn't he got a podcast with uh, three bright souls that he um, is he chats about the uh, do you think he tells the story about Gross said I have a good feeling for him as a player oh. and a person oh, and then sense. I just drew a line under it moved on for the Sheffield Wednesday big box you are a dark dark you, you soul you swayed by a tray of Kit Kats yeah. so sorry Christian I apologise. Uh, well, thank you, thank you indeed for the story, Andrew. And if your name is Christian Gross, uh, this message is for you. If you'd like to get in touch, here's how you do it. At setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com or just go to facebook.com forward slash setpiecemenu. Should, we, should, we, should we give him 
Chinch's phone number. And also, Chinch's phone number, which is 07... I wouldn't do that. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve, Rory and Andy and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon. You must, you must have all the interviews you've done with players, sportsmen. You must have had an idea in your head about the, the person that you're going to be meeting and then it's been completely the opposite. Is that no? You're looking at me in a fairly befuddled uh, way. Um, so I, don't, I don't think we necessarily go in with too many preconceptions because oh, I tend to do. we're not an equal, if you see what I mean. Yeah, really? So we we tend to, yeah, just do what we're told and be massively deferential. So you're not an equal of David Silva? I suppose it's quite hard to tell as well, because they're so on guard when you... When you when you meet them, you're not getting yeah. the real them. No, really. and also they don't. I don't know. I, I've I've had interviews with people, and I thought, you know, what, we we got on really really well. Like we Ilkay, in, yeah. So well, like Ilkay, you sort yeah. Of, yeah. I mean, that's Ilkay's a bit different. Spent a lot of time with him, but the no, you you quite often do interviews. You know, like half an hour, an hour, mm. even a couple of hours, and you sort of think, actually, yeah, we we get on all right. And th- then I don't know. The player sees you as a journalist, so or the manager sees you as a journalist. So you sort of think, well, actually. And they tend to forget about the experience immediately yeah, afterwards. They don't even want if you have an enduring. The, the, they you often get the impression they it. are not they are not thinking this is something I can possibly enjoy. Oh. I'm not going to judge you as a person. You are merely a parasite who's going to um, yes. bother me for a bit, and then I'm going to move on. One or two kind of yeah, you, you make friends with one or two of them, I suppose. What what also it tends to be quite transactional. Change. Y- you have longer interviews, particularly with Steve and I, when we regularly interviewed players and managers. It was for five minutes. Although funny, if you, there's plenty of you know, speak to other journalists, both broadcast and print, that tell you that you know, in those five ten minutes, you, if you do enough of them, you build up a bit of a, a rapport. I always, I always thought that um, there were a couple of players that you felt like you were building up a rapport mm. with, and the and the litmus test is when you see them in a non-work environment, and whether they completely blank you, Gary Neville, or whether they. Um, Where did you see Gary Neville? Traffic Centre. I saw Gary Neville at a <laughs> at a stereophonics gig. Oh, that's the sort of MOR stuff that Gary Neville would like. Yes, exactly. And he's, all footballers. He's, he's very, uh, he's yeah. very middle of the road. Um, and those, for example, like uh, Darren Fletcher or Michael Carrick, who you would see for an, a non-work reason, and, and they'd be nice and say hello. Yeah, Car- right. Carrick is someone that people. I know a few people who've got to know Carrick through a succession of small interviews and speak. He is very much like he's just a yeah. nice fella. We were sat in the dentist waiting room the other day. He completely ignored me, Michael Carrick. That's because right. you, yes. you hadn't done the groundwork of all those incremental five-minute interviews over a twelve-year Oh, that's career. how I should have got to know. Yeah, you that's need to spend oh, okay. five minutes a month with him. That's the only, the course. That's famously the, the only way Michael Carrick makes friends. So he could have talked about incidental brushing if we'd have been yeah. at that level Flossing. of our relationship. Flossing. Actually, yeah. the nicest, the nicest of that group of United players who Steve and I used to regularly interview, who I saw outside of work, who genuinely was treated me like a human being was Edwin van der Sar well that's, that doesn't surprise me actually um, Dutch so people are quite hooray nice. Dutch people yeah, yeah I saw in the Manu village at the gym once with the kids very friendly his son was learning to play tennis he was not attempting to eat your children no no didn't, no apparently uh, not he, he, no, he, he, he was a lovely village yes, a lovely and he, he, did, yeah. he didn't particularly like that chant either because he thought it reflected poorly on him when he had no intention well yeah but also it was, it was but the, <laughs> the other village chant was deeply offensive to the Serb nation so I'm not surprised he didn't like that one either yes and I wonder what Jisung Park thought about it before we fade to plaque by the way it's not too late for Chinch to make an impression on Christian Gross he is currently the manager of the Egyptian side Zamalek and (gasps) I reckon you might be able to get a game get a game (laughs) get a game that's really insulting to Zamalek alright at least corner kick coach how long has he been there Stephen not long if it's Zamalek yeah yeah well this is anybody that goes along any any left back that goes along to join that club give Christian a chance don't judge him too quickly that was my mistake and I regret it